Welcome to Cast of Creators. We're your hosts. I'm Nelson Thal. And I'm Casey Stewart. We've spent our careers in media and publishing, and now we're setting the stage for creative people who inspire us to share their stories. Our guest this episode is Shane Stevens. Shane is the private client director of Louis Trez Cognac, the world's most precious cognac. And one of the most expensive. Shane has a really interesting career story, from starting out as a writer in Winnipeg to working with Peter Nygaard, then making the move to marketing luxury brands. Are you ready for it? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Shane, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's uh, wonderful that you're here because when I was putting the space together with Casey, I think we turned to each other a bunch of times and we're like, oh, we're excited to show Shane the space. <laughs> you did a great job. I'm impressed. I've been wondering where you've been hanging out now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've well, been we, here. Yeah, we've been here. And you know what? It's definitely an easy place to be. I come in here in the morning and just like start my normal work day and turn on all the lights and just sit here in my meetings. And it's just hilarious to be in the studio, like in your regular meetings. Yeah, it's also a hop, skip, and a jump from where you live. So I'd say that's a pretty uh, big benefit of this space. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't believe it. When we were looking for office space, um, you know, I thought we'd end up downtown or I thought we'd end up, you know, uptown or whatever. Yeah. I didn't imagine that we'd be able to even afford rent right. in Yorkville like you never you never really know you know and uh, we discovered this space and we're land we have our landlord is like right over there where we're, we have a sublease here and it was just perfect and this used to be a pretty boring white conference room mm-hmm. but now it is uh, anything but well, you got you got a green screen yeah you got hover studio like it. we got our merch rack we've got a you know a stocked bar and snacks I love it. A, you offered me snacks over there there's a whole corner of snacks I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's good. So whenever I know I'm going to be seeing you, yeah. I think, wow, I wonder what Shane is going to have on. Oh, yeah. And you come <laughs> up with... I do that too. I'm like, oh, let me see your outfit. <laughs> you come up with some of the most creative things that I've ever seen anybody wear. And you find them and it seems like you spec them out. So like even this shirt... Like, what is this? Is this like a one-off or is it a limit? Like, what is that? It's a brand I've been looking at for a little bit called Warren Lotus, and he does these amazing graphics. And uh, there was a couple that he put out that were like cowboy skeletons, and I just thought it was cool. So I ordered them, and like I was saying before, I... I'm super, when I order something, I'm I'm still like a kid in that regard. Like if someone sends me sneakers or something, like I have to wear it that day. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I ordered these shirts and I was like, those shirts are awesome. And, uh, and then, you know, a week goes by, two weeks goes by, three. And now you get stuff pretty quickly. Yeah, you can oh, get yeah. Amazon same day. It's like so. same day, right? <laughs> so like, yeah. so yeah, it was like three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. I think, you know, luckily I got busy for a bit of that. And it was like six weeks I sent an email saying, hey, did you guys forget? Like, I'm just following up. And they came back and they were super friendly and nice about it. And they just sort of said, did you read the fine print? And I was like, no. <laughs> you know, do, who reads the fine yeah, print right. anymore and ordering anything online? And it was like, yeah, eight to 12 weeks. So I don't know what this dude does if he's hand painting them in a back room somewhere. Or, but yeah, it took a, took a long time to get them. So now that they're here, I'm going to wear yeah, them. Yeah, it arrived and now you're exactly, here. Yeah. And he must start with just a faded shirt. So he does a fade base because yeah, we guess. did like we did our merch. So now I'm thinking like, oh, that's, you know, that's how would we do that? Okay. So it would be yeah. like a faded base. And then he's. I, he must be using one of those big screen, screen printing, printing on yeah. that thing. Yeah, cool. Because it's really like a it's a pretty significant. 
textures. So yeah. you, you lathered it on. Yeah. yeah. Good, sure. good luck in the wash with that thing. I wonder yeah, how I'm long that. I'm a little nervous about that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. bet. They're going to get washed individually. These shirts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On one of those, on one of those delicate Washboard. things like yeah, exactly. wash. Yeah, exactly. That's probably what I should do. But they're oversized, so I can. I'm going to throw in the dryer and hope it shrinks up yeah, a, little a little bit. bit. So you came with a motorcycle helmet. I'm assuming you didn't drive a car with that I on. didn't. You know, traffic in the city drives me <laughs> mental, and I the bet. motorcycle is not only fun. Uh, I've been doing it for years, and it, it's just such a great way to get around town. It's when you, quick. I I take bike lanes. I like. I can split cars if it's busy. I'm when, great. When did you start riding? Um, I guess when I was probably, I want to say 19 years old, probably about 19 I came back from hockey, uh, like playing hockey, and um, where I I, had, I grew up in Winnipeg, and I had moved away from Winnipeg to play hockey here in Ontario. Wow. Um, I kind of been all over. I'd played in Saskatchewan, and I played in like rural Manitoba, and then I came out here and I played. When you were in your teens, yeah, when I was young, when and uh, when you I must got, have been a quick little hockey player, I was little and fast. But yeah, didn't, it didn't uh, help me not get concussions. That's for sure. Wow. Now that I look at it, but. Um, <laughs> And so I, when I quit hockey, kind of just aimless kid, was working at a coffee shop, and there was uh, a, oh, this guy kept riding this, like, super loud Virago bike, um, and I just thought it was cool. I'd always wanted to ride a motorcycle and whatnot, yeah. and he came in and got coffee, and we got to know each other, and he said, I got a motorcycle in the back, like, of my my stepdad's house. It's super cool, so he brought me over there to look at it one day, and I bought it. I, I was laughing with my dad because I had it like put in the back of a pickup truck and dropped off at my parents' house. And my dad came home and was like, what is that? And I was like, that's my new motorcycle, right? He's like, you don't know how to ride. But back then you could do a 15-minute a test. It cost $15. Well, and you, and you, you, it was a and handwritten you, test. You get your you get your beginners. And in Winnipeg, you only have like a three-month ride. Yeah, right. It was a license you could just ride for like, it was yeah, like you could ride for, like ride for the three summer. Three months, yeah. And then that's all you needed. Yeah, so you had three months. So all of us really not smart kids would get our beginners because we didn't want to pay the $60 or spend the time doing the real test. <laughs> and we would just do this $15, 15-minute test, get our beginners and ride. And it was like the stipulations where you weren't allowed to ride with anyone on the back. But... We all did, yeah. and then, yeah, but it was, so I've been riding for quite quite a mm-hmm. while now, but it's mostly just the last, like, four or five years I've gotten back into it, so, but it's just such a, it's so fun, it's so peaceful, it's like adrenaline meets calm in a weird yeah. way, mm-hmm. and uh, when I just want to get out of the house, I can go for a rip, I did last night, ripping up and down Don Valley late in the evening when there's no cars, like, yeah, that's fun. it's pretty fun, so, but it's really great during the daytime when the city's busy, because I can, it doesn't, I can be home as quick as as if it was there was no one on the road on the bike, which is awesome, and yeah. parking's free, and yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I remember the first time I went to London. It was the first time I really saw a city where you're allowed to yeah. go up the line on yeah, the yeah, bike, totally. like in between the cars. Yeah. And it really clicked there why someone would ride a motorcycle yeah. because I was like, oh, this this makes so much sense. Like, yeah. look at how much faster these. But but a lot of trust in the cars not to change lanes. It's crazy yeah, over yeah. there with the motorcycles for sure. Never seen Paris anything. is like that too. It's just yeah, Paris is like that too. It's crazy. Even I like when I was in Paris and have been in Paris. I'm always blown away at how those guys are riding. I mean, that's I think it should be the way it is here. Mm-hmm. Because the cars are also used to it, so everybody kind of knows where it's going to be. But, I mean, those guys ride in clusters of, like, 15 people, (laughs) 
like like tire to tire between cars. Like it's pretty it's pretty mm-hmm. intense how they do uh-huh. it, but we're and not then, we're not there yet. And then they have the like cars have the right of way. When you're crossing the street as a pedestrian in London, you don't have the right of way at all. Yeah. Like that car has the right of way. Yeah. I've never actually driven a yeah, car. It's like Montreal. In Montrealers all but, the, the yeah, drivers Montreal. in Montreal just think they got the right of way. Right. Yeah, yeah. But um I've never driven there, but I'd love to drive there because here in Toronto you're like a second-class citizen as a car. Um, (laughs) Like, you've got basically pedestrians and bike lane, then, like, the cars are, like, the lowest on the the totem pole. In the UK, it's completely flipped. I've never gotten the experience of being, you know, an in-car, first-class citizen. (laughs) Well, time for you to drive there. I can get ahead over there. Yeah, not a bad idea. (laughs) So, snowmobiling, too, in Winnipeg? What other stuff you get into? No, oddly enough. I mean... The only snowmobiling I've been fortunate enough to do has been in Whistler. Awesome. For a couple like staff parties when I lived out there. Um, you must have loved that. Oh my God. Yeah. Like yeah. so fun. So it's <laughs> always made me someone that really wants to snowmobile, but it's, you know, I live downtown, front Spadina area. Like, yeah. it's not oh, you're super, not going to, yeah. You, you know what I mean? So it it's one of those things where it's, if I had a cottage or something, I would absolutely do it because it was so fun. Oh, yeah. You used to have, like, even. Even if you drive like an hour, an hour and a half north here, you, there's no real snowmobiling anymore. Right. Like the weather has changed so yeah, much that if you buy, like sometimes I'll see people buy like brand new snowmobiles and they're like, you know, an hour, an hour and a half north yeah. of here. And it's like, what are you nuts? Like this thing's like right. 15, 16 grand. And yeah. you will have what, what snowmobiling you think you're going to be doing here? Like yeah, on a couple where? weekends, like where are you going to trailer this thing or yeah. what, what are you doing? But um, yeah, snowmobiling is, is fantastic. So Did fun. Sean have a snowmobile up in Muskoka? No, not yet, but he would. Would really like to have one because he grew up in Deep River, Ontario. Okay. So like he's oh, really yes. he's, sounds like a snowboard. He's place. really yes. he's really <laughs> like <laughs> Northern <laughs> Ontario. Yeah. Like yeah, they he likes to really anything that goes brap brap makes yeah. that yeah. noise. That's oh, yeah. like what he's yeah. into. You know, Love he it. likes to rip it on the snowmobile. That's what we had went snowmobiling at nelson's cottage um and like right across the lake snowmobile to breakfast oh, like so, so awesome. fun yeah so awesome so, yeah. some years lake simcoe completely freezes where you can they've oh, got really? tons of ice huts and um really it's unbelievable yeah. because it's, you know, depending on the fall i mean yeah depending on the fall yeah. if it's really windy at the beginning of winter it'll be bumpy but some winters it freezes like glass really? and then it's just like this never-ending meadow of powder out there and it's an incredibly um it's a very unique feeling you know when you go out there uh, just by yourself you've got so much freedom you don't have to really deal with much of anything and it's 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 quite something but that same um, kind of calm that you yeah that's like being on a bike yeah i love just driving anything Mm -hmm. my thing is i want to drive everything yeah. So like I, I <laughs> cars, like I just want to test drive everything. I motorcycles, anything like I always kind of keep my eye on what's going on. And like, I've kind of already rotated through motorcycles cause I just want to try the next thing. And it's not like a, a discontent thing. I'm always super thankful. No, it's I'm a curiosity it. thing. It's just a curiosity thing. And I, but so I, you know, I'll watch you on the boat or you snowmobiling. I'm like, oh, God, like that looks <laughs> awesome. Cause I'm still like just a little boy at heart. Right. Totally. I want to like, drive all the cars, motorcycles and you know, Casey's been known to hop on the back of a bike. I have. Every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> Has been known to. <laughs> that 
that, yeah. I do like to go for a motorcycle ride. I mean, I, I was we were at Collision, um, <laughs> wandering around there, and um, I think you bumped into somebody. Oh, you bumped into Corey, and one of the first things that you brought up was like, you know, remember we used to hop on the, I used to hop on yeah. the. Bike. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, it's fun. Uh, I find for me, like I've I've been on the back of a wave rider with someone. I've been on the back with someone. I can't handle it. I don't like being yeah. on the on the back of it at all. Either. Um, but it's different. I'm also like five oh, two and a yes. small person, yeah. so I just you know like what? hold on. That and I'm does like, make a difference because I always like feel like I'm going to be like the thing that the yeah. pendulum at the back that they can't handle, like the yeah. engine in a Porsche. I'm yeah. the engine in the Porsche. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that they can't yeah. manage. There's something weird about people in the back. I'm not going to lie. I bought a I bought a bike that doesn't have a, a second seat. Yeah. So I bought a bobber and part of that was on Purposely. purpose. Yeah, you're like, no. Everybody's always like, oh, we'd love to come for a ride. Or like, let's go, you know. And I, it's just awkward. It is. Like, anytime, that, yeah. I had my Ducati was super fun. I loved it. it. I could have people on it, but I would just do my best to not have anyone on it because it just, they don't lean properly. Yeah. The weight shifts. Like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just it's, awkward. It's awkward. Yeah. Look, if it's awkward on a Sea-Doo, then it's awkward on yeah. a bike. I've never driven on a bike with somebody on the back. Yeah. Um, so Winnipeg got into hockey, yeah. into bikes, and then how did the artist in you start to emerge? How did the marketer start to emerge? Uh, oh man, that's a long, that's a long ass story. That's um, that's why it's a long yeah, form yeah, podcast yeah. <laughs> because the good oh, stories okay. are the long ones. So feel few, free. Few hours. No. Feel um, free. Where do I pick that up? It's like were you always like um you know, creative, express yourself through fashion and like in brand marketing. No, you know, like, I think when I growing up, um, if I look back on it, because I hear those that type of question as it pertains to fashion a lot, and Mm -hmm. I can remember like a few items, right? I can remember like a pair of like orange and white Converse weapons sneakers i can remember a pink leather tie i can remember like you know like there's these pieces that i remember that were things that i liked that not everybody was wearing and whatnot so yeah. there was a little bit of a um a desire to kind of stand not not stand out but just pieces that i liked i would wear mm-hmm. but i think like for and i sort of try and break it into like three areas like in the beginning it was like i wore stuff that was really a part of a, or align me with like a tribe. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was like in school it was like roots and beaver canoe and all these things were like, that was what the cool kids wore. So you'd mm-hmm. always go home and like, mom, can I get a, you know, the beginning of school year, right? Like what was it? They were going to buy you the two outfits or whatever. It was. Yeah. It was always like <laughs> yeah. You had it pretty dialed in. You knew what you what wanted, you, what you wanted. Right. Um, so that was kind of phase one with the fashion stuff. And then phase two was um, wanting to stand out. Right. So then it became more a matter of like we were like in Winnipeg as I got a little older, we were kind of like rockabillies. We rolled old Triumph motorcycles and we had greaser hair and got tattoos before anyone even had tattoos and stuff. And it was kind of a look. And that was really about like want to stand out, want to be tough, want to be right. We always, mm-hmm. you know, we had to work out. We had to be strong, like this kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> very toxic, actually, when I look at it. But, <laughs> but then, um, uh, and then eventually, I think um, you get to a point where you like a, this guy that I used to work for always said the best. He's like, when you turn 40, you stop believing your own bullshit. And it was such a great line. And I laughed at it. Cause I was like 25 when he said, it. I was like, this guy, what he's talking yeah, about this guy <laughs> now I get it. Right. Uh, and you just, I think now I just, I see things that I like and I, 
I buy them and wear them, like, yeah. period. And I put stuff together, and everybody has their own unique way of doing things, and I just have mine. And um, But, like, as a kid, I don't know if there was – there was never, like, I'm standing on the sofa performing in, like, a cape or anything. Like, fashion was, like, like, like you, right? But um, <laughs> but clearly I did I did like it. And I remember yeah. when I was in, like, my that middle – area like i remember reading gq for example and right like being one of the only people that i knew that read gq but like following it following it and and really like telling people i'm gonna be the editor of gq one day right right so so it became more and more important to me and now i i love it but equally like I, covid was a weird break from it all so now oh, yeah. when i think about going to an event or something like it's actually become daunting i'm like like what am i gonna wear yeah. and i'm looking in this closet <laughs> and i'm it's just all stressing me out now more yeah. than anything because for covid i just wore like the most whatever like there was no yeah i went for walks in the morning and i had like cords in the winter and like shorts in the summer <laughs> yeah. right I, i'd rotate through sneakers but yeah. that's about it right so um so as a kid like it was something I think that like allowed me to fit in for a while and then allowed me to stand out. And now it's just sort of, I've kind of like in a bit of a comfort zone with it and I just do what I want. That's good. Tuck your Jersey in playing hockey or yeah. <laughs> tuck it in? Yeah, I did one side. Tuck it in yeah. one side. Okay. One side, yeah. I, All right. Yeah, I, uh, that's, that's what I was picturing. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> why. The one side. The one side. Yeah. I was the picturing you with the one, I'm not, one side you know, tuck. I'm not a big guy. So a lot of it was that, yeah, it'd be too low. The sweater was like long, long, oversized. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. That wasn't cool back then. So honestly, like the tuck was. A lot of times, I think I would actually tuck the whole thing in because it was just. It was that long that I wasn't comfortable, and it, yeah. I thought it looked ridiculous, right? So, <laughs> so yeah, I would, uh, for sure that for sure the tuck probably good when guys were beating me around the ice and not have more to grab onto. So, did you watch the Stanley Cup Finals? I did. I did, yeah. Yeah, it was nice to see Colorado win. It really actually. was. I'm and, not a fan when guys win, like, or when teams go on, like, two, three, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, that's great The Tampa won, too, but I was really happy that I love McCarr and I love McKinnon, uh, like, great players, both super deserving, and I just, that organization seems super classy to me, and yeah, for my sure. Winnipeg Jets sucked this yeah. year, so <laughs> if there was going to be a team to make it, I would have liked to see a Canadian team. Um, but like for how it ended up, like I'm super thrilled that the Avalanche won. It was pretty cool. Yeah, Joe Sackick seems like a uh, classy, guy. super classy guy. Yeah, even yeah. you know when he was play, a player yeah, too. Totally, you know his whole career. I loved watching him win it. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And I forget what year, maybe a '99, 2001. Yeah. In there was really cool with yeah. Patrick Waugh. That was a great. I remember oh, yeah. that. I was like right at the right age. You know, like there's Those a guys certain are like so opposite. There's a certain Joe age. Joe Sackick and Patrick. Oh Waugh. yeah. Patrick Waugh is just the, a nightmare yeah. seeming guy, and Joe Sackick. You're right. He's like he seems like just the classiest uh, mm-hmm. quiet was that way in hockey but just an, an intense yeah. player but a really like respectful guy oh yeah it's like yeah. Joe Zach is over here then Wa then Wa's son yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> eh? exactly but yeah that was great and um how many siblings do you have I've got uh, a brother who is seven years younger than me and a sister that is three years younger than me oh wow so yeah, you remember yeah. your brother coming home from the hospital well I'm not not particularly. I, I always think I, of that I've seen the I pictures think of, like, of him. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I always think of that because I have now a six-month-old. Yeah, I know. You know. And I think, you know, it would be, like, my brother and I are really close, so I never saw okay. a baby come home. He sort of did, but he was pretty young, 18 months yeah. old. And yeah. So I always think, you know, it must be kind of interesting to see. A I si- did. Uh, yeah, my sister's did. four years younger, and I named, I 
Her name is Jenny, Jennifer, and I was like, I picked the name for the baby. She's pissed That's at awesome. that because she's like, every kid in her class, well, I mean, in her class, there's always like five Jennies, and I was Casey, and there's always only like one or maybe one boy. So oh, she's, sorry, Jenny, love you. You but, should tell her, just be thankful I didn't pick Karen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> Could have been Karen, Jenny. But I remember her coming home from the hospital, and like, I, there, I have a picture of it in my room, but I, I remember that day that I met her. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't remember that, but I mean, yeah, they're they're cool. We're it's funny, <laughs> the last year we've all really kinda come together. I mean they all they live in Winnipeg. Um, but my brother and my father came out to visit not too long ago, which was super nice. cool. Um yeah, and it's weird because my I, like I grew up going to church. My dad was like a um like the chair of the Baptist General Conference and a deacon at the church and all this stuff. So it was a pretty major part of my growing up. And my brother's now the pastor, the, the teaching pastor at the church I grew up oh, at. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's super weird that, that like <laughs> to go back and then I go back to the same church with family and now my brother's on stage and is the one preaching. And, wow, I bet yeah, that it's is. it's kind of crazy. It's, so, uh, it's like Talia's family, she, her her family grew up pretty orthodox like and they mm. were kosher. Her grandparents were, were, were kosher and yeah. her dad, who is like not not kosher okay like he eats eats everything and um but he still sort of runs this shul in north really? bay a little bit so she goes up there on the holidays every now and then and he's speaking just like that yeah and he was our the officiant at our our wedding oh, really? he, he can I, I don't know what it's called but he can marry people oh, you know yeah, and yeah. he's been doing that for years and it's very strange where all of a sudden you go you know all of a sudden you know your dad's up there your brother's <laughs> yeah, up yeah. there it's just such a, a, a yeah. mind you know, yeah, I had that. Some popped up on, uh, you know, when like whoever one of those social media platforms or your Apple phone sends yeah. you photos, yeah, like a memory or back, on memory this day or something. And it was like my my brother and my dad on stage at the church during yeah. the Father's Day, and they were doing like they were tag teaming a part of yeah. it, or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, so well, yeah. It, it's interesting as you progress through life, you watch people sort of come into their own. Mm. And when you're young, you, everybody you know you see or know that says they're going to be something one day. Yeah. You've never experienced because you haven't lived long enough that person actually ending up being that person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But as you go, get older, you're like, oh wow, he had the confidence. He said he was going to do that. He actually look at this. He's actually he's actually yeah. done it. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. It's it's quite nice to see as you as you age. Because um, at the beginning, you're just seeing a lot of talk yeah. with people. <laughs> that or it's just you see people come into their own that stumble into it too. Yeah. Right? You know, I, th- I kind of feel like my yes. brother always knew that he was going to go in that direction. And so he was one that was kind of like, he knew it and he got there. And like, you know, my sister, she's come at it in a different way and she's really kind of fallen into into some, some cool stuff lately. So it's been... It's interesting to watch, especially when you talk siblings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the the individual relationship you have with siblings, like, you know, the, that's always kind of complicated, but it's also, uh, it's also like, you're always rooting for them. You want mm-hmm. the best for them kind of thing. So you do pay attention and you watch and try and help where you can. But my brother just really like, he was the guy that talked about it and just went and kind of did it head down, no stopping. And, uh, and then my sister, she's, she's like, and she's very much an artist. So she's a musician. Um, but she's always had these great kind of marketing ideas and stuff like that. And so we'd always kind of have these conversations as I was in marketing and, and, and more recently she's kind of really been able to pull off some cool stuff. So it's fun to watch even the people that aren't, I'm going to do this. They do somehow get there and it's kind of fun to watch that stumbling process. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and did your parents grow up in Winnipeg? Yeah. Well, my mom grew up in uh, Portage of the Prairie, which is like just outside of Winnipeg, and my dad grew up in in Winnipeg. So, are they first generation Winnipeg, or yeah. their parents? Well, their parents, yeah, their parents were. Their, did their parents grow up in Winnipeg? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So cool. we're like you're, d- you're Canadian, multi- like yeah, yeah. yeah. It would have been uh, yeah, same two my- or three generations would have been like. Cool. came over yeah mm-hmm. that was like on my dad's side we were pretty we've been in toronto for years and years right. and years but my mom's side um they all came from italy my mom's parents generation right they're the first generation here yeah italy yeah. oh i'm first generation canadian so my family's from new zealand oh crazy yeah, both my parents moved here in the 70s late 70s before we oh, were that? born yeah dual citizenship two passports yeah you were born in, in I was, Cambridge? I was born in Cambridge, Ontario. Yes. Huh. Um, no, I was actually born in Bramley Hospital, but I never lived there. I grew up in Cambridge. Well, they just yeah. say you're from Brampton then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I don't know what to pick, okay, but I did. I moved to Australia eventually, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, you moved to Australia. Yeah. What age? I moved there at 21. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, I had been, wow. been back and forth to New Zealand like uh, throughout my life, and my entire family, except my mom, my dad, and my sister, all live there. Huh. Like I have no family here. I've never had any family here. I've had two family Christmases in my entire life, like with my family. So like oh. people talking about family and like yeah. they're um, having like generational family in Canada. I'm like, yeah. oh, that sounds so nice because huh. like I went back in 2018. I took my mom for a month to visit my grandma uh, my nana before she passed away and like i got to see all my family and it was around christmas time and i had new years with them and like i'd never had that before my cousins are like my age and gosh it's fun but then it's also like family can be dramatic there was some drama and i was like (laughs) maybe living in canada is not the worst (laughs) i was like gotta go guys on my plane and i was like oh cool have fun dealing with that shit storm yeah (laughs) Well, you oh, know, Australia is far enough that you know you're not going to get a pop in. Yeah, well, I, um, <laughs> when I lived there, it was really cool because it's about like the flight from here to LA. It's just not like super close, um, but I had cousins. What is like the flight from here? To like LA? from like New Zealand? New Ze- oh, yeah, New Zealand, New Zealand to Australia. Australia. Oh, okay, oh, right. Yeah, like, but I, I did have cu- when I lived there. I was at university, and I had cousins right. that lived there. So all the other Canadian students would get home homesick, and I was like, later going to visit my cousins for like Easter weekend or something. Yeah, that's nice. yeah, it was fun. Have you been to Australia? No, I have not. Yeah, neither have I. It's I, fun I have a lot there. of friends that love it, and I, when I lived in Whistler. The whole place was full. Yeah, it's like Australians. Yeah, there's so many yeah, there. Because yeah. they like they all like when you're over there, um, like in New Zealand especially, you graduate um, your school at like 18, and because you're so far away from everything, like I don't think I could live there because I thought about living in Australia, but it's like you're so far away from everything that I knew. But basically, everyone you know goes and travels like yeah. as soon as you're done high school and stuff. They go and travel and drink. Yeah, drink yeah. and yeah, talk really loudly. Just party. Well, it's a lot easier now wrapping my head around going there with internet and like yeah. an iPad on the plane. Yeah, like going yeah, yeah. there like even fifteen a, years ago is really it's a lot. You got to grab a TV book. All tiny and yeah. yeah. I mean, I I've, oh, I've never known anything different because I first went when I was like two. 
So, I mean, no, it was two. <laughs> yeah, you, sl- that, you slipped into a bit of an accent on the two, yeah, just talking about it. No, I know. It Casey's happens sometimes. It's like, or I'll Very say, rarely. Very though, rarely. Very rarely. If I, if I get on the phone and I ring mom, it's like it comes out. Because I had an accent when I first went to school. Because oh. um, my parents only really right. knew people from Australia or New Zealand. And you just stick with people yeah. that, like, you know. And um, I got made fun of when I went to school. So, mm-hmm. I, so I stopped talking like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nothing so like, now it's a party trick. Nothing yeah, like, no, it's, that's yeah. when it comes exactly. out. <laughs> yeah, nothing like other kids to wipe off an accent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you talk funny. No, you talk funny. You know, like, I just stopped. Yeah. And then, so, when you realize that hockey wasn't going to be, you know, your path, Yeah. Um, what then did you shift into next? Um, because this would have been in Ontario at that point. Yeah, so when I when I got back to Winnipeg after kind of hockey was done, um, I just I was pretty like I put a lot of eggs in one basket, and you don't even realize it, right? So mm-hmm. I just kind of played hockey, and that's what I like to do, and was relatively okay at it. Um, and when that was kind of done, you know, you're 20 years old, and you haven't like I didn't do well, I didn't like school at all. I didn't do well in school. Um, so I hadn't thought anything beyond that. It was just kind of every, it was almost like year to year, season to season, where was I going to play hockey? And then, right. yeah. so I kind of found myself back in Winnipeg, little lost, little holy, like, like what's yeah, like, what my do I life going to look like? Yeah, exactly. And, um, so I was, bar- so I, I was working at this coffee shop and the coffee shop, job turned into a, a bar backing job and that bar backing job turned into like a um like a, a bartending job and that bartending job ended up at bartending jobs all over the city and oh so you know the inner workings of a bar oh yeah, Pretty, yeah very well very, very well, well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that kind of and, and it, that ended up turning into a friend of mine and i hitchhiking to whistler which oh, was kind of wow. fun uh, yeah i wasn't like when you look back on those moments in your life that were like super fun and you're like wow, wow we still we're, he's still one of my best buddies and we talk all the time lives in toronto um and we ride together and stuff uh like we'll always laugh and be like man like remember that time like we still we have those, like, nostalgia yeah, yeah. i can oh, never imagine so we went out that. there um he felt like we were actually going to go to la because uh, we were going to ride our motorcycles to la he was going to be a stuntman i was going to like try acting and that was just not that i ever want to be an actor we were just like what else do you do in la yeah right and it was like uh, uh, Winnipeg was very naive. So because we were these charismatic guys, th- it was like everybody had all the faith in the world. So they would like cheer us on and se- every <laughs> night and celebrate that we were going to go and like, we're going to become buddy. celebrities and stuff. And uh, one night I, uh, him and I, we, we left a, a nightclub um, and I, he, he was a gymnast. So he's like incredibly strong. And so he was like, Hey, like, I think he dared me to do a handstand on a fence or something like that. So I did it, but where we did it at the same time and he shook me off of it or something like that. Anyway, I fell, stood up laughing. My foot was pointing backwards. Oh my God. So I went right to the hospital. Is this in Winnipeg? Where is this? This is in Winnipeg. Yeah. So we, so basically I, now I'm in a cast. We're not going to LA, (laughs) right? It's to now it's like the cast comes off. The dream is over. You became the stunt man. He flipped. (laughs) Cast comes off in October, too late to ride the motorcycles, right? So the whole thing, but he's falling in love with this girl. Okay. Who now lives in Whistler. 
So now oh, things wow. change, right? So we're going to like you hitchhike to Whistler. We're going to go surprise her for Halloween. So it takes us like three weeks to get out there. So ridiculous. Wow. We party every city we go to. It's hilarious. <laughs> Super fun time. Um, and oh, uh, yeah, that. and then so out there. Awesome then, years for that too. Oh, I mean, great. Yeah, 20, yeah. 20, 21 years old. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we've been getting in some trouble back home. So like the timing was really good to get out of Winnipeg. Um, and so like. While I was out there, once again, bartending, um, which was great, met all these people. And eventually, was I... Was it already intra-West at that point? Was it had there? just become intra-West. Okay. Yeah, so it was 90... Okay. 90 mm, fucking dating myself here. 97. <laughs> okay. Right, so... And then... Um, yeah, I, intra-West, it... it you know, a company bought the whole place, basically. Yeah. And, okay. and, it, and it went from evolved from sort of like a sporadic, you know, place yeah. to something that was more of a coordinated yeah. effort. Yeah, a little totally. bit more like smart center vibes. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> a little bit center. like all oh, that, you know, that lodge like kind of looks yeah. like like is that very the same true. construction yeah. company as that oh, yeah, lodge, very you know? True. Yeah. They, um, yeah, it's I was just out there and it's like built up so much like so much since then. It's crazy. But yeah, so that was kind of like so just bartending, hospitality industry, snowboarding, and, skiing, snowboarding. 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 Uh but not like great at it, yeah. right? Just something that was kind of yeah. we, we rolled in, we rolled in hitchhiking, and we look like like hitchhikers, IRA, yeah, IRA, <laughs> like mm. little nightmare guys, right? Because we were like rockabillies and wound up in Whistler Village with like biker jackets and like mm. denim and stuff, and everybody was wearing snowboard gear, right? Wow, so right? People were just like, "Who are these guys?" Anyway, I worked there for a while, and then um, I kind of decided that that was What's not a the while? place for me. What's a while? Uh, about a year and a half. Okay. I was like, "This isn't the place for me." <laughs> really? So I moved down to Vancouver and got a job at this great little restaurant there and was like going up and doing the clubs on the weekends and Whistler and then and then my weeks there. And I was actually getting like acting auditions, like hilarious. Wow. Just randomly came to pass that a bouncer's girlfriend ran this thing and saw me and was like, you'd be... And back then I was like, I didn't shave. I was like in good shape. I had yeah. tattoos. No one had tattoos. The snowboarder yeah. was like the cool guy. Yeah. So I was getting all these yeah, auditions. It was a unique look. It was, yeah. And yeah, I, You looked I, like one of the characters in a snowboard game like when yeah, you're going through the characters like that's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> that's the mustache so tattooed character yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i i just ended up i ran into a, a couple of friends that were from winnipeg they lived in richmond one guy was taking journalism school at, at Quantlin college and i remember him always coming home being like i love journalism so fun photojournalism this that the other and i was, I was like how is this guy so happy going to school <laughs> yeah and uh and so i kind of we got we had he's a, a nut yeah, he's, yeah. yeah i thought he was crazy but he's the greatest greatest guy right yeah yeah. And so one night we had some drinks and he, I'd always kind of kept a journal and we, he read some of the stuff. He's like, you know what? You're not a bad writer. Pocketed that. Yeah. I flew back to Winnipeg to buy a motorcycle. I was going to ride it back out to Vancouver. And my dad kind of cornered me. and was like, you know what? I don't know. You're 22 years old now. Is this acting thing for real? Maybe you should go to school, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I stayed there. But the first thing I did was walked into the, basically the now magazine of Winnipeg and yeah. ended up knowing the editor from like high school or something and being like, I want to write. And she's wow. like, Oh my God, man. Like if I had a dime for everybody that came through the door and said that, she's like, take these CDs, review them CDs, yeah. Yeah, take them, take review the them. If they're good, I'll print it. If it sucks, Hey, don't worry about it. Right. Wow. Cool. cool. And guys, I'm not joking. Like, I think this is so funny. I remember in the basement at my parents' house on the computer, writing these these like reviews and counting on the screen because I didn't know there was a word count. Yeah, counting on the screen the words. 
Because she yeah, was like, make sure like this doesn't go over 200, like 200 yeah. words or whatever, right? Yeah. Oh so they God. printed it and, and that's oh, so they I printed it. Yeah, they printed yeah. it. So, so did you, um, had you, you printed it out, but like you printed, how'd you bring it to her? You printed I, it and I, brought it to her? Because the email was like yeah. brand new, right? So I had to bring it to her on disc. On a oh, disc? Yeah, wow. so I brought it to her on disc. She printed it, so it went to print. So I was now like a published writer. And, yeah. and cool. um, within two weeks, she was like, a writer couldn't do this event. So I went and like covered Cannibal Corpse. It was like this first like it was a death metal band. Yeah. She put me on the hip hop beat. So I wrote music for like a good three, four years. That's so which cool. was super cool. Um, and, and that, and I didn't realize Winnipeg was like a trade publishing hub. So Were as they I was paying you per story or did, did you become the stories an I got paid for? I don't think the CDs I got paid for. I think that was like, you got to keep the CDs. So yeah. you, <laughs> when CDs came in, you all rushed down there to get the ones you wanted and then you'd review them, yeah. okay. which isn't very objective either. Oh, right? Okay. That's it, but, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So CDs would come in too now. So she'd be like, Hey, a bunch and of they CDs just basically taught yeah, a bunch of CDs came in and yeah. toss you like six so you'd rip down there and you'd, cause you'd want it to anyway. So that, yeah, but Winnipeg was like this trade publication hub. So all of a sudden I was getting phone calls through connections saying like, Hey, you're doing some writing. I read your article here. Um, would you come and write this article for us? And it was like, but those were getting like, those were paying like 30 cents a word. So I was all of a sudden collecting a check from, it was boring as hell. Like it was like private trucking and like all these yeah. weird random things, but it was like, make a phone call, get some quotes, string some stuff together, bang, 30 cents a word. Perfect. Right. So I was in school. I, my dad convinced me to take some schools. I was like in English and professional style and editing. Cause yeah. I said, Oh, I'm, maybe that'd be interesting. I quit. Like, I was like maybe six months in. I'm like, I'm out because like I'm getting paid way too good here. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I went in one day because the email was down and I brought some articles on disc and a guy behind the, the, the guy that said, you stop believing your bullshit at 40. He was looking like he was having like a stroke because it was so busy. And I walked in to hand this in. He goes, Hey, you're the bartender from Bar Italia. And I was like, yeah, man. And I pretend I know I'm like, Oh yeah, it's going cool, man. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. he was like, we're screwed. Like we're out of editors, like editors quit in Toronto and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, that's crazy. He's like, Hey, would you like to be an editor? And I was like, mm, yep. Wow. So I took this editing it's job. It's like you manifested yeah, the dude, she walks, you walk, you walk dream. me down to this room, this office. And the, the woman that was there was this woman named Nancy. And she had this interview with me. Gave me the job, and within three months, I was on a plane to Toronto to come out here because the Canadian office was closed, like had been like impacted by all these editors quitting. So I, I ended up coming out here for the first time that way, and I was in. So I was editing and writing uh, for quite a few years, and then I, uh, my wow. grandmother got sick, and I moved back to Winnipeg, and it was there that I kind of started to get into marketing because. Um, I end up when I went back to Winnipeg, just ended up bartending and you know, you're, you're back in the city. I've seen Vancouver now I've seen Toronto. Yeah. And when, you know, my grandmother had passed, my sister had had her son, like my godson. So I was kind of like, what am I doing here? It's mm -hmm. been like four years. And I'm just wasting time. So yeah. I moved back to Toronto, but before I did, I got, uh, an ex-girlfriend had a client uh, and he, he was a super good guy and he's like, Hey, you know how to bartend come down to Peter Nygaard's like Island in the Bahamas. And I, oh. he's like, I throw Peter's like whatever, like oh parties. My God, right? I was really? Like, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'm coming down. So we did this, we did this thing, this party and it was a like complete <laughs> and absolute gong show. It was yeah, the worst I, experience oh my of my life. Like funny, like I, it's super funny, but, and 
I will preface that by saying I did not witness okay. any yeah. of the stuff. That <laughs> no, I figured I not. did witness what very much looked to me like pay for play. Okay. And that both sides were benefiting from a relationship right. yeah. financially. Right. Um, yeah, those but, are, that's called a party in the Bahamas. Exactly. Right? <laughs> uh, but I didn't yeah, but I wasn't I wasn't privy to anything that was that was like nefarious. So right. but it was more that he was a like a nightmare. Right? So he just was like like I <laughs> he wanted people like so the day before the people he this event was um for volleyball players. Because he has, he had made the like these unbelievable beach volleyball. He loved beach volleyball, so he did these amazing courts. Yeah, and he flew in the top beach volleyball players in the world. So we're talking the men's gold medal U.S. Olympic team, right? Like the the, 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 the super uber hot Brazilian, yeah, the top like, people, top girls. Like wow. So the, all these people it's fly like a in field there. Of dreams you build, yeah. that they will come on yeah. like, volleyball courts. Oh, yeah. You got to make it home. Yeah. But he does, but he does it, and then he forces himself. Like so, he chooses the better of the guys on the gold medal team, and he becomes that guy's partner. Oh, like it's crazy. So he wow. basically brings all these people in to just play volleyball with the best in the world because he has the money to do it. Yeah, and oh, it yeah. just ends up being a total gong show. And he wants like music to play that when the sun crests on the horizon the yeah. crash of the like like it's a particular an understatement it's the most insane stuff i've yeah. ever seen anyway yeah, I bet. Wow. Yeah. yeah but through that i met uh tina who was the the then director of marketing for the company um and she knew and we got to know each other and i was like i'm never gonna work here and she was like i moved to toronto and then she was bugging me like hey come work mm-hmm. for me listen you won't have to deal with him blah 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 and the the opportunity was great. She's like, I'm, I'll teach you marketing. You can come in. I want you to try, you know, do what you want. We want some fresh new ideas and faces in here. And so she hired me and I, I ended up spending like probably seven years there, but in, but in a marketing function. Wow. Cause wow. a lot of, I mean that most of your mar- function as a marketing <clears throat> head or whatever there in those years would be copy. Copy is a huge component because it's all print at that point. Most of it's print. Yeah, well, so are you transitioning to digital? Like what? 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 What was so that they, seven they, years? Like? of all places had had transitioned to uh, like they had a dot com before almost anybody else. Okay, right. like, so they, they had like really a, um... were advanced that way. And the one thing that Tina was unbelievable at was that she was doing collaborations and partnerships before anyone else I knew of. There was right. a long time that brands refused to partner. Right, they didn't yeah. want to share their databases. Right, they guarded them. Right. They didn't need access to new, I wouldn't say they don't need new clientele, but there was a little bit more like out there, right? Right. Whereas Tina was like doing collaborations with Nygaard and like Nokia Mm -hmm. and, and doing this crazy stuff. So I, I was fascinated by the way that she was doing business. And for me, from a marketing perspective that like, you couldn't get any farther from like my love the Nygaard. Right. Like it's like stretch pants for 80-year-old women. Yes. <laughs> right? Like their product line is mostly like hosiery. It's basically a Well, no, it's everything. It's it, like it's, okay. it's everything, but it was like the plus plus size and plus in age. So okay. it was women's wear, and I would say predominantly like 50 to 60 plus. Okay. okay. So from a marketing perspective, it was amazing because I wasn't able to ever inject what I thought was cool. Right. I had to understand the demographic and what the demographic wanted and what would be relevant to the demographic. And it kind of beat into my head something that most kids in marketing don't understand today because right. they just try and force their ideas, what mm-hmm. they think is cool through. It may make no sense to the demo. Right. So I learned that way. And I learned mm-hmm. from someone who is, I think, still one of the best marketers ever. I wish he had a left 
Nygaard well before, like well before yeah. she did, yeah. um, because she was just absolutely brilliant. And I, I, she kind of handed me the keys and I got to do some really cool stuff digitally started the social, like the social components of it, mm-hmm. all the partnerships I got to do eventing. So all like the, 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 the bones of what I took and then took with me to like Holtz and then to Saks. And then even now, I guess even to what I do now, uh, really came from that time at Nygaard. I really owe that company a lot. Um, it's gross and sad, what happened mm-hmm. he's a despicable man i hope he goes to jail in the bahamas like right but yeah the truth is didn't i didn't change your yeah. mission no like, your, but your it, mission was yeah you know. but i do owe that company a lot for taking a kid that dropped out of school was writing got bored with writing and editing and gave me a chance and right. like i've been able to do, do like some 360 fantastic marketing stuff. it sounded like you you know you did all the things yeah. all the things yeah, yeah totally so so I, I i always sort of talk highly of my experience there because my experience there really has been hugely beneficial to my life and my career and i met some great people there there were really unbelievable people there it's just that the man at the top was a monster yeah right yeah, and they had been around. You know, he must have been around for years before that, and that company was making a lot of money all through those years. Yeah, huge. So Dillard's he was account, able to get like, great people. Oh yeah, Bay, Sears, Dillard's. He had yeah. everything locked down. But the truth is, and I'll say this here because I think it's important. I every decision that I saw Peter Nygaard make was a was a disaster. Yeah. Right? <laughs> was a disaster. No, it really didn't. was a disaster. Yeah. He was good at pushing where Peter Nygaard was smart is that he was able to find talent. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, and so like Peter it. Nygaard picked a guy named Rick Wenzel <laughs> and he picked a guy named Jim Bennett and Tina Tilakorpi. And those, that group built the company while he built his island in the Bahamas. And yeah. All kinds Peter of Nygaard things. is an interesting story to me because Peter Nygaard was social media before social media existed. Yeah. He built a persona that was yeah, bullshit. He built it. Right. He wasn't a designer. His they, they built the systems that went that blue sweater sold the best. We're going to do that again next year and we're going to do one in green and what He was more like it was more statistics, right? Right? But he played himself off to be this big designer and he, you know, he'd always have the girls with him and this like it was it was as social media as you could yes. get before it happened. He before social media happened, into a character. He, he really, really did, did, right? And it was ultimately the demise of the company, right? But what's interesting is that he's a guy that that does or did what every what I see so many people on social media doing mm-hmm. is claiming to be things that they're not truly. Mm-hmm. Fake it till you make it. He made it. And then look what happened, right? And mm-hmm. and you know, we're really so quick to jump all over like a person like that, but the that power and success will get to you and you're going to go after your worst desires, right? right. Like, yeah, it'll catch just up. It'll catch up with you, yeah. If you think of, especially in, in the world of designers, most extremely successful designers do create a character of themselves. Um, you know, like Karl Lagerfeld, like, you know, anybody that you look at, really, there's a very distinct character um, that they've built and they've really ran with consistently. You know, yeah, like yeah. they definitely changed through the years, but very often you think of the most famous designers and the most famous artists, like Warhol. Like I watched Warhol's documentary. He thought, he, he, he studied and thought a lot about, almost incessantly, about yeah. the character he wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's a certain, you know, there's something to be said about that. Like, if you're an artist and, you know, 
if you keep bumping into somebody and they're sort of like drastically different or their hair is different, or they have they haven't really found that character that they want to promote in and of themselves yeah. or their personal brand. Their personal brand yeah. isn't like, dialed right, right in. Like, I think that you'd you'd find that it's harder to become extremely successful. Yeah, because there's you know you need some consistency there to establish yourself. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I definitely, if I was you know trying to be a famous artist or trying to be a famous designer, I would definitely study that because yeah, yeah. I think it's it's, it's I a did critical that trying to be a famous blogger. I always had the same look in a wild outfit. And, yeah, and it worked. Know, it worked because <laughs> I had sure. like my pixie cut hair and like people I had stickers with my face on them and I stuck them everywhere and I know people like knew me for having that look. I mean, I've changed a lot since then, but oh, yeah. in the early days of social yeah, yeah. media, like that's what I, yeah. I had this thing. Yeah. You know? Actually, you know and what it, you should but, but I think like, yeah. you know, it's not to take away talent from the guy. I mean, like I said, he built a company, you like it was made a lot of money, right? So as an entrepreneur, successful. Yeah. But he played off to be a heartthrob, a sex symbol, oh, yeah. a designer, and it's all this gross. stuff, right? Yeah, but, but that stuff was well, just completely egomaniacal. It has right. nothing to do with the talent component, right? right? So, there's a, yeah, but there's an element. Uh, you've got to have a big ego in some respect to do to do to be that person to keep that up like i don't create that you know, to yeah, create yeah. that there's got to be you know a pretty you got to be pretty driven pretty yeah. vain yeah, yeah. Oh, that doesn't true. happen yeah, without yeah. a big ego yeah. to create a big uh, something of that magnitude jeez yeah. <laughs> yeah and then so okay so then um you were at Nygaard, and I mean, Holtz was obviously, I guess, you were selling through Holtz. Nygaard must have been selling no, through Holtz, no, or no? It was uh, more Nygaard Bay, was like and a, a lower it was price a lower price point? Yeah. point? Yeah. Okay, and um, did Holtz come knocking, or did you meet, how'd you get over to Holtz? Holtz, I, I can't remember exactly. I don't, I just remember being at my parents' house, uh, covering the Junos for something. Um, I quit Nygaard, and... I remember just, and I don't recall how it came about, but I remember being on a, like an interview, a phone interview at my parents' house with them. So I, I can't remember if like I saw like a posting for a job or someone had told me, like chances are good someone said, oh, there's a role at Holtz and linked me like to someone there. Um, but that was a role that was like a marketing manager. The Bloor Street store had had seen a pretty significant decrease in, uh, in revenue over the course of like to last year, they were down significant numbers in the first three months. So uh, there a new a guy named James Watt came in from Nordstrom. He'd been at Nordstrom for years and years and years. Great guy, and he sort of reassembled the team, and we were able to do some really cool stuff and um, get some momentum again with the brand. Um, and then that's what Sachs was the ones that kind of reached out through their HR department. Uh, I think we been doing a lot of interesting things at Holtz that kind of as they were coming to town and the conversations that I was having with it Holtz the team that was there then didn't didn't get the direction that it needed to go and almost was like oblivious to the fact that Sachs is coming because I sat in a meeting thank you where I remember saying like you know Sachs is coming like what's the what's the defense strategy right, right. and it was crickets and tumbleweed oh don't worry about that right and mm-hmm. like, well Good luck okay. with that attitude. Yeah, and that's, yeah. And that's really why I went. I had a great conversation. I went down to New York. I really liked the, the team there. And there was autonomy in the role, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It's important. So as opposed to me always getting in trouble and pushing, like facing pushback all the time at right. faults at the time on things that were needed. And then every time we would just do it and execute it, everybody was like, oh, that oh was wow, best. that's amazing. Right? <laughs> like they were like, we don't know the marketplace. So it's on you. Mm-hmm. Build it. And yeah. the team was like, I got to work with like Kathleen Ruiz, who's like a legend in the marketing kind of circles and, um, and you know, just. It was great. So then kind of went over and, and launched Saks in, in Canada from a marketing perspective and really built that that marketing strategy. Yeah, When you went into Holtz, do you go there as a customer and study that operation? Like what type of discovery do you do to figure out what the heck is wrong? Like when they right. say their numbers are down. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, like the start of that engagement, like somebody comes to you and say, you know, our numbers are down. Okay. Well, I mean, it's retail, right? So there's so many factors that can go right. Yeah. That's wrong. what I'm thinking. So how do so you I think, like, figure I, out what is wrong? For that, it was, there was a whole bunch of things that had happened. Like there'd been a new president that had brought in that had kind of really been tasked to rein back the dollars that had been spent. Cause the previous president I think was like not our ROI focused mm-hmm. was really spending money to make buzz happen. Right? Yep. So there wasn't a balance. So he came in and then he took the balance the other way where all of a sudden Holtz was kind of like not irrelevant, but it would just, there wasn't anything going on. Mm-hmm. It was the same old, same old kind of stuff. So when I went in, I, in some ways it was funny cause I was a little nervous cause you know, I was at the end of my time in Nygaard going down to New York on my own, paying my own way, going down to New York. I was meeting people, getting into the men's New York fashion week stuff and now attending yeah. shows and kind of had built this community. So I was, I understood from a men's perspective where luxury was at cause I'd kind of started to really get into it. Um, but women's, I was like, oh my God, and like, and 80% of the, of the brand then was women's. So I was like, okay, well, what would I do if I was like going and auditing from a men's perspective? And that's really kind of how I went about it. But you know, it wasn't just marketing that we changed, like James and Christopher and the team there were awesome. Uh, you know, and they had staffing issues and back then at Holtz, you could walk through Holtz and no one would say hi to you because yeah. you weren't on someone's book. Uh-huh. Right, like so, staffing and customer service, and like right down to um, uh, to merchandise, like like what are they, what have they bought? Is the buy wrong? Are the buyers wrong because people aren't buying? Like so, it was really like a massive audit that in in retail that there's so many areas. But for me, it was like, why is no one talking about this brand? Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, because what can we do to make the conversation happen again, but not blow? The budget, the budget, right? Yeah. And luckily, there was some budget. But I was, I, I basically leveraged all the people that I was meeting in New York, right? So, Blind Barber, uh, Jeff, and those guys, awesome guys. We were like, wouldn't it be cool to do like a? They have speakeasies in all their barber shops, and they were great guys. I used to love seeing them all the time. Like, um, and so I was like, wouldn't it be cool if they we did like a Blind Barber speakeasy? barbershop but in like holds so we like found this little area in the back like hit it and then like had a speakeasy barbershop for a week and kind of told a few people and within like two hours they were like full up on haircuts for the week wow. and then we did a big party and so that's fun basically we just started to leverage relationships that we had and mostly that like that i had um it, it, and sort of building out more event related things because there was some budget for events and we're not talking it wasn't events that like blew tons of money it was get a boo sponsor mm-hmm. figure yeah, like out a cool way to bring event. people in more intimate yeah. but they started to grow because the momentum started to work so 
then it was really working more with the with the Holtz uh, like corporate team, sort of on. Uh, oh, you have an opportunity with Vogue Italia? Yeah, I want to, we want to do that. Oh, you guys are moving the now, the, I can't remember what the shop was called, but it was like the cool, like advanced shop. Like you're going to move that from Yorkdale, move it here to Bloor and I'll help. Like, so we started like bringing in brands and I would leverage people I knew and line them up with the buyers to do kind of like pop-ups. And yeah, so uh, thankfully that was more tied to sort of like the people in the community that I was meeting down in New York uh, that I was able to leverage and those good friends were now putting me on to other people. And that momentum was what was driving kind of what we were able to do at Holds. Yeah. Well, it sounds like they sort of got punch drunk off of a whole generation of personal shopping, collected a big list of people, yeah. had relationships sort of like Harrods does. Like I think like 50% of Harrods revenue comes from like 200 families yeah. or something. Oh yeah, and, for sure. But as that generation dies, yeah. good luck. If that's your, if that's oh, your yeah. model. So you've got to totally. now reach out to sort of this new generation and make them relevant. Yeah. But you and, had like all these like staff that had been there forever. Oh, real stuffy in yeah, the staff. So stuffy, like you're 30 not on year, their list. 30 yeah. year staff. Yeah. So it was, that was one of the things that they could, James and Christopher as sort of like the GM and AGM did a really good job with was sort of like exiting some of those people and, yes. and kind of cracking the whip on others. But, um, I think. I had a friend who was actually with me in Nygaard, uh, who came over and was uh, ended up uh, like uh, had some free time and wanted to be an associate at Holtz. And she's like, "How am I going to make this successful? I'm really intrigued." So she was on the second floor, the luxury, mm-hmm. you know, area. And I was like, "Every person that comes up that elevator, say hi to and smile." Mm-hmm. And within no time, she was like killing it yeah, yeah like top sales because nobody else was doing that they were leaning over in the far corner against the bar whatever right. the the paid area and work like messing around on their phones and stuff right because they just didn't care yeah. but yeah. she was able to pick up every single person who was coming through just for that pair of shoes or just for but it's luxury oh yeah right so it's like thousand dollars for shoes yeah and oh, if yeah. you're yeah. doing that and then you have a good experience they're going to want to come back. They're going to look for that person. Totally. Yeah. There's a famous retail sales book. I forget the, the writer, but I, I met him in when I was on a trip in, in Connecticut and it's called hug your customer. Okay. <laughs> and he's like a heart. He's kind of got like a, a massively successful retail yeah. store, high end fashion in, oh, in cool. Connecticut. And the books hug your customer. And it's so true because if you're going to just be, you know, uh, in the corner doing nothing, not saying hello, not establishing yeah. like a good rapport, or good luck selling anything. And the thing is, you know, maybe the older generation yeah. doesn't want to be approached. Yeah. But now you've got a bunch of people who like the whole thing yeah, is yeah. relationships. In, yeah. in that oh, respect. It's all relationships now. All relationships. And then that, then you trans, you went over to Saks and that was relatively recently, like within the last five years or so. Probably six years six ago years now. Ago. Yeah. And you, um, immediately brought a lot of, you know, a tasteful edge to sax in a, in a good way. Yeah. And that was fantastic. Cause I was, I, I, I watched you do that role yeah, yeah. and it was awesome. Like I remember when I did stuff. that Gucci, you did that Gucci, Gucci ghost, ghost event yeah. and that was great. And yeah. you brought just a lot of, um, that newer, edgier designer, um, you know, creativity, mm-hmm. uh, both in the brands and yourself to yeah. that company, which was really cool to see. In it was fun, but like, I, I'm really lucky that, and, and thankful to that organization. Cause like 
I'm not a poster boy for like I would be more of a poster boy now than it would have been even six years ago. Oh for, yes, for, they like, were they were ahead of their time even taking a shot. Yeah, like yeah. I kind of yeah. and I understand that and um like I'm really thankful because they not only took that chance but gave me autonomy. Right, like yes. was like this is your we expect you to know this community, so do stuff that's going to resonate there and and. We did some really wicked stuff, like Gucci Go, super fun way to celebrate Canada 150, Kate Moss, like Cindy Crawford, Chantal Martin was a friend of mine from New York and was able to bring her in for like to do a kickoff event. Like from an event perspective, we did some really, really great things and there was like some good budget there because we had opening budget that lasted for, you know, X amount of time. We needed to introduce the city to unique things because they'd bought in unique ways. Mm -hmm. So fragrances was not an area that like had been they they I, they identified like jewelry, high jewelry, high end jewelry, and like fragrances as two areas they were going to come heavy in because they didn't feel that Holtz had strength right. there, right? And Nordstrom was not playing at that same level. So, you know, we did some really cool things with like fragrances and in the high end jewelry, and then, um, yeah. But once again, a lot of it, we, we uh, Gerpreet and and I were laughing. Uh, Gerpreet worked with me; mm-hmm. she's awesome. Um, like we were laughing because in the end, when we kind of looked at the list of stuff that we did, ninety percent of it was our connections. Yeah, right. So they benefited because most oh, yeah. of the stuff that we didn't came up with was using my network. Right. Yeah. Right. Not even having to bug the corporate team in New York to get us alignments on things. Right. Right. So it was That's cool, awesome. like that that it worked out that way and momentum built and um and like. The brand was killing it when, when like we all decided to go our separate ways. Um, like Shrad went to Nobis and Gerpreet went to the bank, uh, and I went and sort of was consulting and doing some stuff with ET Canada. Like it was in kind of good hands, mm-hmm. but they were. I was sitting in a lot of meetings where it was a whole lot of we know how to run this. Like the the whole thinking changed. Mm-hmm. Right. It was no longer this is Canada, so it's going to be unique and a little bit different. It was, we know how to run these stores, so we're going to run them the way we want to do it, right? And I didn't feel like that was going to work very well. And, we, and like, the Eden Center store was the number three company door in year one. Oh, wow. Right? So, Damn. like, it, it had been a success, and they like to brag about that success. But then when it came time to, like, listen to us, they kind of stopped because of, I'm sure there's, like, profit margins, and there's yeah. all these other things yeah. that are involved in that. So I get it from a business perspective, but... but unfortunately now it's just it's it's irrelevant again Mm -hmm. well it seems like they came out of the gate right like strong yeah totally and then just when they started to get cruise control on like just when the acceleration stopped they put the cruise control on and they just basically amalgamated it into the rest of the thinking i'm biased Uh, but but yeah yeah, i agree like i think we we came out of the gate hot and heavy and but everybody knew Saks was the yeah. place mm-hmm. to go and Holtz got hit hard in that beginning yeah so much then, so that they i think they completely responded by renovating the hole downstairs and to put their fragrance they'd always downstairs, they'd actually always that, been like talking about that, that reno and been okay, like because it was but, just timely happening yeah. right around but then. they did but they responded by like kind of waiting it out yeah right because the hot and heavy yes. is gonna end up slowing down but the problem is that there was never anything when we kind of left i i've not and I'm not saying this because we were involved. Mm-hmm. There's not been one clever thing that I've seen them do from a marketing perspective. Like there isn't. 
the events mm-hmm. they're non-existent now covid played into that yeah, and stuff yeah. but even that time period where we weren't we had just kind of left there wasn't anything going on and i know the team that went in there after because i kind of helped get them hired yeah mm-hmm. i chose them they were even frustrated because they were like it's like our way or the highway kind of thing yeah. and anything we bring to the table there's now no money in this at the other so you know, I, I would not be surprised if Saks pulls out of Canada at some point. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was supposed to be five doors. Now there's what, three? Mm-hmm. Right. So like all the stuff that was, that I was told when I first was in the meetings with them didn't end up coming to fruition anyway. And did Nordstrom come in after the Same then? time. Same time. Yeah. Nordstrom oh, yeah. opened, yeah. uh, I think Nordstrom opened first. Yeah. Okay. In your, in Yorkdale. No, I think there, maybe, maybe, um, I think it was Eaton Center first. I might oh, be wrong. I can't remember, but I think they they beat remember. us. They came first to no. They came first to Vancouver. So Norsham was in Vancouver first. Okay, and we were the first to market in Toronto. Okay, Saks is the first to market here, and then Norsham opened after we did. And uh, tell me a bit about uh, what you're doing now. Now, oh man. Um, <laughs> Now I am like, I totally switched gears. So I went from kind of that fashion retail space. Um, I was, I kind of was doing this like fun thing with ET Canada called Styleska, which was fun and consulting. And, um, and then I ran into a, a friend, uh, Chris Powell great guy who had just accepted a VP of marketing or VP role for North America, uh, for Louis Trez Cognac. Um, and we, I can't remember how we ran into each other at an event. He was kind of stuck at it, doing something there because someone hadn't shown up like one of those sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of connected again and had some great conversations. And he was like, I want really need someone in this role here in Canada to help kind of build the brand, build the private client side. Um, it's kind of a great role because we're really just putting the brand on the map. It has its own kind of, um, like, Areas that we focus on, our events are obviously not big at at forty three hundred dollars at a canter. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not trying to go mass market, big brand buzz. You're just ROI is important. So a lot of the stuff is smaller, more niche category, um, and just sort of like building building the business in Canada. We've been you know the, uh, we have a great team. Chenway's out in Vancouver, Kellen's in Vancouver. I'm out here, um, and we've been able to really uh, push it and we've had i think the last two years have been the top two years that the brands ever had in canada so it's oh that's amazing it's really cool and it's luxury i mean it's like it flies in a different category it's it's a spirit um but if you think about the brand remy martin's been around for longer than hermes and spirits are consumed through all things so it kind of makes us in a way an arbiter of all things luxury which is cool so you know I, i i i really love the story and product's incredible and uh it really aligns well with all the stuff you know the interest categories and what and kind of my roles coming from from like the luxury kind of fashion retail space and where is their headquarters in france uh paris yeah. in paris yeah yeah wow and how many different SKUs do they have <sighs> well remy like quantro as a group is like no like the cognac the louis cognac well louis just is the is one it, is well the that's one? not true so i mean there's different formats size formats okay right? so you've got You've got um, like the 700 mil 
decanter, and then you've got like you can buy a one point five liter, a three liter. There's a few six liters in the world, which are crazy. I just wow. saw one for the first time about six months ago, and then you've got some special releases. So you get like a black pearl, which anyone that's kind of a cognac aficionado, they they know they always ask they that. What's a black that. pearl? It's craziest looking, coolest looking uh, product. You must uh, have to really study ones. up on your. Uh, yeah, man, because I didn't really drink cognac right. before. It was never my my uh, drink of choice, and now I hardly drink at all. But I, when I do drink, I only drink Louis. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's turned me into the most bougie guy ever. <laughs> yeah, that's great though. Yeah, especially that's... like knowing your whole story. Like one thing I wrote down was that we were little nightmare guys. Is like you said that when you showed up in Whistler, and now you're like drinking louis and it's like you know it's like you know it's a really cool i have a funny story with the louis thing in whistler the first time i ever had louis we joke as a group of guys like and and like you'll never forget the first time you had louis and it's true it's one of the coolest things that you can pour for someone because they'll always remember that they had it with you yeah first time i had i was in whistler my palate was molson canadian And Cuervo shots as a bartender. That's all like really and whatever else I'd screwed up to drink that night. So I get invited up by the owner of the bar and he's got a couple clients in town. So we go to this restaurant, Araxi. I even remember the restaurant where we're at. We have dinner. It's a great dinner. They're kind of weird. At the end of dinner, the guy says, I'm going to order us around a Louis Thirteenth." And I'm like, no idea what that is. Right. Comes out to the table and he makes a point of like, of like kind of pointing out the price. Yeah. And I, I want to say it was $300 even then. This is going back like 20 yeah. years, 20 something years ago. And I remember like zero palette. Right. Taking it back, right. shooting it back. Right. Mm-hmm. not having any idea. Not, yeah, sipping, it. not like... sipping it. Didn't come in a snifter, right? Like no yeah. idea. Pounded it back and just remember thinking to myself, what in the world was that? <laughs> right. Cool. Right. Just, just had a $300 like yeah. shot, shot in yeah. my mind. Right. Yeah. But so it's bizarre that I, the crazy thing is I remember who I was with. I remember where I was. The I remember the name of it, the special mention. Yeah. And all of a sudden, and now I work with it, but now I understand just yeah. how important it is and how luxury it is and how special it is and why it's the price it is. And so it's bizarre. Cause I, I was the guy that had the experience where I was like, what? Wow, in cool. the, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of a bizarre, uh, That's the it all kind of, the, the, yeah, the circle the 360. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Close the loop on that one. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fantastic. It's so cool to learn more about you because I mean, we see each other in passing, but we yeah, really totally get the time yeah. to really, you know, explore yeah. and learn so much about your your history because it's uh, fascinating. Because you know what you were ultimately saying when you said not stumble through, but sort of you know, life pinballs you into almost yeah. the fate of your direction. Yeah, it's definitely you know worked out tremendously well. And yeah, it has. I'm you. really I'm the first to admit that I've been like hugely blessed man like i never i never set goals right like i never was someone that set a goal i just kind of like like people have been very good to me and have taken chances on me all the way up mm-hmm. um and like and it's been it's been fantastic but i never set goals i just always was obsessed with like progression mm-hmm. yeah. so to me it didn't matter where i was going and what i was doing like as long as i felt that i was moving in the right direction and progressing then i was cool and um, I'm, yeah, I'm really thankful cause it's, yeah, I kind of have like stumbled out of the dark woods of my own, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and have like been, what else do you attribute so. it to in, in yourself? Um, what other qualities would you say you'd pat on the back for getting huh. you here? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm such a, such a mix of my mom and dad. 
So my mom is the most outgoing like human ever. So she'll come to Toronto, she'll be on an elevator and she's the one that's like starting conversations and I'm feeling <laughs> awkward and like people looking around. But by the end of it, everyone in the elevator like loves my mom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that's a great quality. Yeah. And so I've, I've like, I have a real, um, like extroverted side to me. Mm-hmm. I can turn that on. No problem. Yeah. Right. So I can lean heavily on that, but I'm also super introverted. Uh-huh. So I can't wait to get home half the time from yeah. my own events. Right. Yeah. It's like this weird thing. I understand thing. that a lot. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are like that, but so I'd say that, you know, that ability, that's like a, a shout out. Thanks mom kind of yeah. thing. Um, I think I try and be as good to people as I can. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm interested in, I, I like actually genuinely love meeting people and getting mm-hmm. to know people and whatnot. So I think that that has always helped. And one thing I, you know, I've definitely noticed about you is no matter how much is going on in an event or whatever, you're always present with the person you're talking to. You do a very Try good job. Be, you yeah. do a good job at it because I've, <laughs> I've I've been with you at events for Sax, events for Louis, and and at yeah. no point did I feel like I was having a conversation with somebody who was like you know. Oh, I appreciate that. I've done a phenomenal job at that. No, I appreciate that. So I think like those things are good. And I think I, I always sort of say like. I really followed pop culture for a long time and I really kind of nerded out on the interests that I had mm-hmm. and that stuff like did me right just because I got lucky to go in that fashion direction yeah. and stuff and yeah. you went deep. I was able to, yeah, and that's <laughs> always informed the decisions that I made and, and was able to kind of make things relevant, right? Um, so I, I'd say that stuff, but like if you had told this punk ass <laughs> kid from Winnipeg that was like, <laughs> even 19 years old and not sure what he's going to do with his life after hockey was done. Yeah. That I'd be doing the stuff that I do now or have been able to do the stuff or like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have believed it. Right. So there's, I've been, I've been pretty lucky and there's yeah. like, there's a hand somewhere. Yeah, that's that's awesome. me And I, Beautiful. I believe that a hundred percent. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, you guys. Oh, it's been wonderful. Oh, lots of fun. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to our 10th episode with Shane Stevens. Check out his great style on Instagram at Shane Stevens. You can watch Cast of Creators on YouTube, listen on your favorite podcast platform, or visit castofcreators.com. And don't forget to follow and subscribe.